0: Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice Omara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of speech and language pathology and therapy. Hi, Shinny. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on. Um, I must say, I don't know much about language and speech pathology. Can you explain
1: what it is that you do? Sure. Um, We work um, with children, babies, children and adults who have either acquired or have congenital difficulties, which meant they have difficulties with communicating and also with um, swallowing and feeding. So we work um, often as part of a multidisciplinary team with many professionals um, within the healthcare um, to support them through um, being able to assess and help provide intervention to help to improve lives and quality of life and activity of life in both of these areas.
0: That sounds like such meaningful work. Did you always know that you wanted to go into a field like this?
1: I think I did. Um, I started off when I was probably doing in school, um, always had a passion for communicating, travel, meeting people, exploring the world out there. And um, I felt I had a natural aptitude initially um, with languages. And it wasn't until I was exploring at college what I could do um, with the skills I had that I was introduced to the world of speech and language pathology and therapy and um, went to observe um, a teacher thinking this might be another route to go down and saw there were some children in her classroom that needed more support with differentiating the curriculum. Um, So when I inquired about what role um, she would have with them, she said, we actually have a speech um, language therapist come in and, and support these children. So I think I came from very much a linguistic background, but felt it opened up a whole world in science that I hadn't really appreciated that I could be uh, really develop skills in. And it really drew in some other, um, I suppose, aptitudes of mine that I hadn't appreciated I had across both fields of, um, I suppose, humanities, but also science as well. Um, And it was literally by uh, reading about what we do, and That I felt that this was actually me, and um, it just fulfilled so much with working with people and meeting people, but also helping look at well what happens when things occur and with the the human body um, whether you 're born with something that 's a difficulty or it 's something that you acquire. And with communication and eating and drink being been such an essential need for us all, um, it just really put, you know paid to, or played to my um, interests. I suppose um, it brought so much just going into this one area. Um, it just truly did open up a world for me, um, and I'm still very very passionate about it now, twenty years on, or even more if I include the student twenty five years on. So, what were the steps
0: to get? to where you are today? Because often people think of STEM as chemistry, biology, math.
1: I'd say that um, to be able to do the um, role I do now, I first of all did a Bachelor of Linguistics and Psychology. And within linguistics, it breaks down into all areas, including psychology, um, uh, philosophy, sociolinguistics, um, child acquisition, um, disorders in communication. Um, phonetics and phonology Um, lots to do with physics in terms of the um, audiological perspective Um, so there's many areas there that we we, um, acquire um, different modules in and then um, you can do an undergraduate course in speech and language therapy it's known as many different um, areas so you might come out with a degree in speech sciences or it might be speech and language pathology and therapy like I did Um, and then I went on and did um, my undergraduates um, in uh, the UK. And um, within that, we, we had our training in paediatrics and adults over a two year period. Um, and those, there's such a range of um, modules that we covered that enabled you to, um, we needed to, um, to have experience, um, not only in the language aspect of um, development, but also certainly from a science perspective and a medical perspective was the human body, anatomy and physiology. So you had your biology, we used to about chemistry Um all the, anything to do with the brain, essentially knowing how the body works, but also in terms of what we can understand about how um we process language how language might be stored and if damage occurs such as when you've had a stroke what that could mean um, in terms of the the breakdown and actually in itself com- communicating and eating and drinking and swallowing is in a sense the science itself so i think it was um it was it's not just like you said you'd assume it'd be more of a humanitarian area but it does have a real pull science as well. Do you use a lot of technology to do your job? Yes, definitely. Um, so if we're working, um, say, with somebody who's had a swallowing difficulty, then we would use equipment um, such as x-rays. It's called video fluoroscopy, where you would do a moving sw- um, x-ray of somebody's swallow Um, You also could do a fees um, where you would have a scope that goes up into the nasal cavity and into the throat so that you could actually diagnose any swallowing difficulties and also pick on voice difficulties as well with a stroboscope, working alongside our EMT colleagues. Um, We also do a lot of voice work as well um, using various pieces of equipment such as VisiPitch. So you would be looking to see how you could provide biofeedback to um, children and adults uh, so they can see how they've improved with their pitch and volume and uh, phonation etc. Um, so there's many many different types of equipment that we would use and particularly when we're doing um, work alongside um, with it being within let's say, a hospital setting you need to know um, lots of other um, I suppose details around the equipment that's being used um, that informs you around your assessment so when we're working with babies for example knowing um if their SATS monitors, um if they've got if they're on ventilation, knowing around um how whole that whole system works to support children who have tracheostomies, for example. Um, So there's various types of equipment that we would use to support our diagnostic um, assessment as well, but also for intervention.
0: What do you love most about
1: your job? Helping, supporting people. Um, I remember when I went for my interview to do um, the course I did my master's, they asked us, what what is it you like about, what do you imagine you like about the job? And I said, "Um, it's the puzzle. It's the Uh, Working out um, why someone um, has a communication difficulty, it's knowing how you can really improve on their life, um, helping people understand why there may be a breakdown with their communication, Um, helping families where a baby's been born prematurely and they really want to get going with helping them with feeding and um, you're able to provide that support um, with them to help them understand uh, the What's occurred, why they may may be having difficulties We're working with them to really empower them so that they feel that they've got control again, um and giving people their voice um it doesn't always have to be that people are actually speaking verbally, we communicate so well non verbally as well and um I think that's what I, I really, um, having children of my own, is something I'm really passionate about is um, children um, and I suppose adults as well, we we all are communicating on a daily basis. And it's not until um, that's taken away from you or things start to deteriorate and that you really see the value we place on that interaction. It's, it's a basic human requirement. And that we all need—eating um, and drinking, socializing—it's um, not so. Um, it's not something like when you break your arm, you go and you can have it put in plaster. Um, that's more visible. It's almost like it's hidden when you've got a communication difficulty. Um, people don't often know how, understand how to communicate with others, such as people who've got autism or someone who's had a stroke. So their their speech might be a bit more slurred. A child in the classroom who might present them as if they've got behavioural difficulties when actually it could be that they've got a hearing loss or um, they can't use the language that they want to use or they can't understand what's being asked of them. So the quickest way they can communicate is by having demonstrating um, inappropriate behaviour sometimes or for them it is appropriate because it's the most effective means. And I think that's what, for me, I just get so much reward from just seeing that light bulb moment on the, small, short, the smallest of things. Um, and um, yeah, just knowing that you've just helped made um, a, an improvement on somebody's quality of life. Your work
0: sounds so meaningful. Um, and I must say that out of all the interviews I've conducted, um Your career sounds like you draw on the most maternal and feminine qualities that women have. What's the gender balance like
1: in your line of work? That's a very good question. It's a very highly dominated female profession. It's quite rare we do have um, males in our profession. On my course, there were two males. And in the job I was working in previously, we had two in a, in a department of 80 and in my current department of 10 i have one adult therapist however at a hover hospital that's in the same area and um, there are more male um speech and language pathologists working here so i've felt more um where i'm based um overseas um we have more male um, therapists. And particularly, I'd say in paediatrics, which I work in, there's more females, um, but um, maybe more so in the adult population, there are more males. Uh, but I know it's something that the um, higher educational bodies are trying to really influence and really promote um, so I know within my um, professional body back in the UK um, the, on the Board of Directors and um, working within the Royal College um, there, are, uh, there are representation for, of male and female as well um, So that does have a good influence um, in, in promoting that as a profession. So are they
0: trying to promote more men into the profession?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, I think it's just they're trying to promote, one, the awareness of what we do. Um, it's very new here where I'm working um, in terms of, um, and I think generally, um, internationally, knowing the role of a speech and language pathologist. Um, it was very much perceived as the twin set and pills and elocution lessons. Um, and um I think that's probably where, I don't know if that's where it was, how it was perceived originally, um, but I know there's been a lot of work um, and campaigns around placing the value on, for example, we know that in the UK, 70 to 90% of youth offenders um, through assessment have shown they've got um, communication difficulties that are not been picked up um, at school um, and another communication trust has done a big piece of work um, around this to really demonstrate that the earlier that we intervene and um, actually um, diagnose these children, um, the impact it has on society in the long term uh, is just phenomenal because if you leave school with no qualifications or poor communication skills, um, your, um, I suppose, your ability to then go on and, um, be uh, be employable um, is limited and restricted, and often that leads to poor socioeconomic um as well as outcomes for you, and um therefore lead to more youth offending occurring. So um it has such an important role, um, and we're just trying to really promote the message out there with a, a giving voice campaign um in the UK. Um, I've tried to bring this into the country I'm in at the moment. Um, and I'm still still continue to be surprised that um, one that they don't recognise, what people are, that they don't recognise what we do, or this misunderstanding about what our role and contribution can be.
0: Your field does sound relatively new. Why do you think there is an imbalance? of gender in your profession?
1: I think because it um communication itself and um I suppose the kind of work we do, like you said, it, it almost seems it appeals to the maternal side. It was interesting when you said that and I was thinking I hadn't really ever considered that. Um, I think it appeals to more to my personality and my interests and, and my aptitude for language. Um, and um, I suppose literature as well and unpicking the psychology side of things and I suppose for me speaking with other um, male colleagues they came they came later into the profession or had come from a background of say drama where they'd studied drama or more humanities type subjects or arts I'd say within physiotherapy you tend to get more More males than females, and occupational therapy again, it feels it's more of a female dominated career.
0: What's it been like working mostly with women? I mean, it sounds as though you may not have any experience of not working with women.
1: Well, we work um, in multidisciplinary teams, so we work a lot with paediatricians and physicians. Um, ENT surgeons, cleft lip and palate surgeons, you you go into schools, you work within community settings. Um, so um, the nature of your work is from a clinic, as a clinician, um, say in the hospital setting I'm in now, we you know we work alongside IT, you know, I work, I have, you know, we have overlap with many, many male professions or males, should I say, but I'd say our, a lot of our role as well is within leadership. Um, And again, I'd say within that leadership and management role that we, you know, we we work towards as we advance our career um, does also provide us with um, more opportunities to work um, with males as well. So I don't know if it's more to do with not overlapping with the male males themselves. It's more the the actual career I've gone into um, by its historical nature has been more female dominated and in terms of working with that, um, I think the main thing is um, it, it's. I think you get a real balance of, of um, different types of personalities, really. I mean, not every female is the same, as you will know. Um, I, I just think it's the recognition, one, of the profession, but two, as a female yourself in a setting, whether it's within a hospital, whether you're in a meeting um, around whatever setting you're in, whether you're going to see someone at home, Um in this in their home environment um, I think it partly for me is the view of what the profession's about um, it's not till say we're in situations where we're um, having to maybe challenge um, uh, you know recommendation that we've provided around a child's feeding and um, there's times when a consultant whether they're male or female may want to override our decision and I think it's more around us being able to feel confident that we could have that discussion as professional to professional. Um, I'm fortunate that it's not I've never been um, asked where a bit challenge in terms of my being a female it's more what I represent as a prof- as my profession
0: yeah because it sounds like you have an extremely varied palette of skills mm. and mm. so I'm kind of assuming that you're just a highly adaptable person and it's not necessarily gender specific
1: yeah i don't know if that's just partly to do with me as a person being adaptable um but also I think the profession itself um has had to adapt and I think what we, with the way that the courses are structured now and the opportunities and the recognition of what the role's about um and also the outcomes and the um you know the value that and um, from patient feedback that we get um I think there is more and more awareness now i mean Stephen Hawking. Um, Himself as a male, if if anything really promoted the profession in terms of using assistive technology. Um, uh, There's been lots and lots of, um, I don't even know if you hear the year of communication when the King's Speech came uh, was out, the film was produced. um, Just that you know what that really promoted in terms of um, speech and language difficulties, and it was really interesting that it was a male speech and language therapist that. you know, that was there to support the king. (laughs) So, um, After all
0: all the work that female speech therapists do. Yeah.
1: So that was really interesting that that was the perspective that was given. Um, And a speech and language therapist who was female did come and work with Stephen Hawking as well. So... um, So I think it says maybe the role of a woman in this, in the profession, you know, in terms of being as a working professional, um, as as that's evolved and and therefore has the profession itself as well. It wasn't just thought that it was, um, 1A male that could, um, you know, have this science, science background, but also I think the profession itself has grown in terms of what our role is, um. I think about potentially thirty years ago that we weren't working in um, the area. It's called dysphagia, which is the difficulties with eating, drinking, and swallowing. Um, It was a big focus was on communication. But as more and more research has done, and and more and more. Children are diagnosed as an increase in the diagnosis diagnosis of autism. We know more now around cerebral palsy. We know more now around motor neuron disease and Parkinson's disease. We have a lot of celebrities that come and talk, you know, promote and talk about their own experiences. Just as I suppose disabilities accepted across the, let's um, say, nationally in the eco throughout the world, um, so is having a communication difficulty and mental health, etc. So I think I think a society grows more knowledge around different areas grows as well
0: it's amazing how this field affects so many wider issues it does yeah. What I'm getting from you is a sense that you really enjoy what you do and you get so much meaning and purpose Yes. from your career. Definitely. What are the disadvantages of what you do?
1: The disadvantages? Yeah, is there anything that you dislike or are challenged by? It's a good question. I think, if anything, what I've recently experienced, and I don't know if it's just coming from a healthcare system that was government funded, in terms of career pathway advancement, we had to take on more of a, managerial role or um, research type role to enable us to advance um, from a monetary angle but also in terms of advancing through the um, I suppose levels um, and I suppose it's quite hierarchical that way it's, it's, it's quite rare now to find where you can uh, become a clinic you can become a clinical expert um, in an area um, but in terms of advancing yourself, you do get pulled into, and I'm now working as a manager in speech and language pathology, the, I found that my clinical work is reducing down um, and I'm using my experience and knowledge to really um, evolve like, the services, improve services, evolve and develop staff um, and be part of a bigger, more strategic level, which is not where I started from. But because I can really, what I really value is that I can influence that. I suppose the challenge for me is that that's a pathway where, um, I suppose, the only way you can progress is is that way. So you're less hands-on. Yeah, you do end up becoming that. And there's lots of my colleagues who would said, no, I, I, don't, I would never want to do management. And I think i would probably said that back in the day <laughs> myself. Um, but I think something that my husband remarks a lot is that, um, and friends say, you're very rare in terms of anyone I know that would actually um have, is happy to go into work um they love what they do um acts as a real advocate for people um and I think that's what I hold you know dear if anything that if things do become challenging, I think it's something that we all things that we all come across um day to day. Um, I suppose it does frustrate me that um, there's no recognition of, of what our role is and how we can have such a huge impact on society and the well-being of people. But also, in terms of the male-female, um, I suppose bias. In terms of, would would a male be as interested to come into this profession? Because I really do believe that um, I see it with my own children. Having a male role figure is 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 valuable um, to support, you know, children to identify with a male um and not always um with a female so i suppose that would be the main thing potentially that would frustrate me is when yeah you do get uh, you know the, the jokes of are you are you allowed to watch how i talk i bet you're analyzing how i talk are you going to help me pronounce things properly that i suppose is, is frustrating
0: yeah i mean i'm from such a male dominated industry um of engineering that
1: mm-hmm. i've
0: always been highly aware of being a female in my industry, but there seems to be so many more women in your industry. I'm just trying to pinpoint whether you've been discriminated for that, but I'm getting the sense that you have been less discriminated for being a female and discriminated against because the field you're in is so rare.
1: I suppose under-recognized or understood is is probably more. Um, I'd say... In terms of being discriminated for being as a female, I suppose pay salary-wise in in the UK, um, they had something called a gender for change, where no matter what banding you were on, male or female, this was your salary. Whereas the country I'm in at the moment, there is quite a lot of disparity, Um, and I know that you know I know through talking to other colleagues, it depends on how you are funded or how you if you're in the private sector. It's very much you bill and you receive an income that way.
0: I often ask women that come on the show the same question, which is, what does having it all mean to you? And do you think you've achieved that?
1: I think having it all is um, being able um, to have equality, um, opportunity, freedom. Um, and that's in terms of access to education and travel. Um, being able to, you know, have, for my own rights, um, uh, they're being, um, uh, you know, available to me and not being um, restricted. Um, so in terms of that, um, I still feel that I there's lots more I'd like to achieve. I feel I've got lots of ambition. Um, so I would never say I have it all because I'm always <laughs> I'm working towards... Um, the next goal Um, and I've been fortunate to have um, had children and met my husband um, a few years ago Um, but in terms of where I've gone down a career pathway or um, in other interest areas I've always been a great believer in um, I'm a very lucky being a western woman um, to be able to have gone traveling I've been able to be well educated um, and have access to free healthcare. In a sense, I know we, we obviously input into it, but we don't. You know, that's what I feel that's very important to me. Um, I'm able to, um, you know, express my views. Um, I'm well. I'm respected. Um, I can work autonomously, um, and I really feel that that's. I hoping my children will see that me and my husband chose to take risks um and I as a woman went on um, and continued to pursue my career and develop myself um and it wasn't just that the only thing I uh, was focused on uh, was just my career or being a parent or whatever it was is that I've got that variety and the opportunity to have variety in my life so I always feel that um I suppose the main answer is, is that I feel like where I'm at the moment, um, there's always that desire to continue and, and want more and strive for more.
0: A lot of women and girls who do enter into the STEM profession spend a long time studying. And after all of those years of studying, they then feel like they have to be focused on building a career to make all of that studying worthwhile. And so many females in STEM are unable to think about the other aspects of their life like family and relationships and social lives and things like that is that part of your story that you've had to try and achieve that balance or has it been easier given the profession you're in to have that
1: it's a really good question um I think the for me personally I chose to um, I suppose pursue my career I mean I qualified in 1999 and because I'd self-funded um, my course there weren't bursaries available at that time it was more from a financial perspective that I had to um, pay off um, the loans I'd um, taken out um, and I'll never look back that was you know the best decision I made that personal investment um, and then Once I'd paid all those off, I had a sabbatical and went travelling. And I felt then that I was secure in terms of having a job to come back to. Um, I was able to go and do the travelling I've always wanted to do. But then I had the job to come back to as well. Um, So I feel like as as a profession, you can... And I think it was more so um when I first started out, there was more opportunity to take a year out. And other people other women I know and other men and women I know in the, our field have gone on and um gone into something very different for a year. I remember one friend went and um, did um was an air steward, an air hostess for about three years. Um other people have come into the profession later in life. Um had a had a colleague who was working in banking, had a colleague who um I think what she was working something for totally different um, and came into the area, to the field. One was a nurse. So I think um, the profession lends itself to enable you to um, take different pathways. Um, my training overall was five years uh, because of my undergraduate, but you're always doing additional postgraduate studies and continuing professional development, which we're required to do with our professional bodies. Um, so I think there's always that progression to ensure that you're up to speed with evidence base and, um, you know, in, t- in terms of your own de- improvement and development as well. Um, so, yeah, I think I suppose yeah, it's the nature of, of, the, of the job. It enables you to do that more freely. And I can work across the world with doing the job I do.
0: Yeah, it doesn't sound like you were distracted by um, a need to
1: prove yourself in a sense. Um, I was just so in, so interested in what I was doing and, and the opportunities that came my way with, within my um, career very early on, um, and I think it was just the nature of how the NHS was at the time that I, as I as you progressed through, um, you gain more experience and the way that your competencies built and um, your advancements built. Um, it was it, I think at the beginning it was easier to find a job um, and move on to another area. But in more recent years, um, there's a, been a real, it's had a real impact across the, across um, allied health professionals in terms of um, that the, they've had no um, bursary funding um, it's gone back to where you're self-funding again. There's reduced courses available and also not been as many jobs available. So I think what's happening often is um, that's restricted by people may come into the profession as well, because it's harder to get into and it's harder to then get a job afterwards. And that's crossed many, many areas like midwifery and um lots and lots of areas and I found a lot of people are coming overseas to, to further pursue their careers because of the opportunities. It sounds like you've been very focused
0: along your career path, is that a fair thing to say or have you at times been clueless as to what direction you're heading in?
1: No no I think very focused but I am I am I'm quite a spontaneous person and um, like you said before very adaptable so um, what I wanted to do is and I was, always just take every opportunity to learn about a new area within the field so I started off working in a community clinic and then worked in a child development centre it was attached to a hospital and then within language units and then in a hospital and then so I got a range of experience working with children um and then moved into different um areas within that um so I I suppose the focus has been is always that self-improvement um but also if an opportunity has come my way I think you know taking that taking making the most of that
0: but where you are today in life Mm -hmm. did you always plan to be
1: at this particular destination no, no. <laughs> I always, um, in, terms of, in terms of where I physically live now and where I work now.
0: No, in terms of you know, where you are in your career and what you've achieved in life so far, as a, a little girl, did you always dream of how things have unfolded or have they unfolded in a way that you never planned?
1: I think as a little girl, I very much wanted to see the world and, and know about people learn about people I used to sit with um, an atlas and talk to my mum about all the different you know all the countries and different um different uh, cultures I've always been interested in that um and I think if anything um I was really supported by key figures like teachers um or there may be somebody who always I think naturally comes has come as, as I don't know, almost um, stood out to me where I've, I've seen what they've done or they've talked to me what, about what they've done. Um, and I think where I grew up in the north of England, um, I I wanted just to, I, again, I think i just make the most of what um, I could have. And I think within my family, um, I, I saw that with my mum. That she made, she did. You know, she did the best um, to get to work to um, support us. Um, and unfortunately, my dad didn't um, make the most of his talents within art. Um, so I think, as a young girl, what influenced me was um, my love of being travelling, love of people, and then I really like language and, and progressed that way. And when I started out in my career as a speech and language therapist. Um, it was more. To, it was more to do with um, the variety of work that came, you know, that came my way. That I would never sit back and think, "Oh, this is where I'd want to be," because I never wanted it to be so. Um, I never. I've never been a person who has a five-year plan or a two-year plan or a ten-year plan. It was very much. Uh, I'm going to aim towards this. I'd like the opportunity to work overseas one day. Um, you know, I I was later on in life um, when I had children. Um, so it was something I'd liked, you know, I wanted to have. But um, it wasn't that my career was the, the thing that prevented me. It was just um, when I met my husband, you know, the, the opportunities that came my way. Um, but I think when I wanted something, I've always focused on it um, and gone for it and applied myself. So that I suppose part of it has part of the way I've um, shown an interest in something has enabled me to to get to where I'm now. But if you were to ask me where I, I mean, we're hoping to stay where we are for the next five years. Um, but beyond that, I'm you know I'm I'm open. I'm open to just see where it takes me. Really,
0: I have to say I'm incredibly inspired by your path um, you. and the I, I I'm don't know a fraction of your actual story but it just sounds like it's been a real combination of persistence and um opportunity yes um that's come your way which i think was it um can't remember who said that but was it einstein <laughs> someone quoted <laughs> that that's a great combination to have to be successful um yeah Tell me more about the role models that you 've had in your life. How influential have they been and and who were they or are they
1: i 'm just thinking when I was younger, just seeing my mom um, working hard uh, when my parents divorced, um, she worked really hard to ensure that we did our homework um, you know taught to us about the importance of going to onto further education. Um, but not to the point where it was if we chose a different pathway, she'd prevent that. But she taught us to also have an open mind and um to really just accept people for who they are without judgment, really. And I think that's just such an important thing in life, no matter what what work you go into. Um and I think we sometimes just get so focused on um I suppose being, a, you know, when you ask the question about which path we're going to take and where we should be, um, is having the opportunity to not almost go down and be the norm and sometimes do something different. And it doesn't matter if things um, don't go as you predicted. Um, it's good to, to almost learn from that, is that sometimes it's not always going to go the way you want it to. And, and that's OK.
0: A lot of the women that I interview are really impressive. Um, and they're really determined, and they're extremely capable. But a common trait that I have found amongst most of the interviews I've conducted is that they all suffer from kind of second guessing themselves and self doubt. Have you ever experienced mm. self doubt?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I was saying before around um, it was when my my previous manager. Um, when I started doing, I suppose more of a management role, um, helped me just have that confidence in myself that I um I can apply my skills, um I can lead, I can. It's a natural. I think she said you're very natural in your leadership and motivation and innovation, your resilience. And I hope it's just, I suppose it's recognizing my strengths. She really pulled that out of me, um, to to think that actually yes, I can, I can do this, and that self belief. And I think um, sometimes I have almost thought someone's going to come and pinch me or surprise me and say, oh, actually, this has just all been, you know, a farce because I can't actually believe how lucky I am when, you know, I've, I've been doing work with a child um, or a family and you have those light bulb moments with them and you can just see you've had that small impact or huge impact on on the family or the people you're working with or even other, you know, people in my team or other um like teachers or nurses I was working with today just seeing how we can work together and I suppose it almost I I just almost think is this really happening am I really is this really happening to me um but I also know that um I think that's just a normal that's a very natural thing to feel and I think it's good sometimes to if you have that self-doubt Um, when you can have someone that can support you and inspire you, you learn more around recognising, well, why is it I'm feeling that? And I always say, what can I then do about it? Um, Why am I getting these feelings coming up? And I suppose that's just the therapist in me, you know, analysing it all. Um, But there will be definitely times, um, particularly when I'm in situations now in this new managerial role, is um, I may not have experienced doing something before or I'm not sure how to go about doing something. And um, I do feel a little bit of a dread almost thinking, oh, do I have to go into this? But then I just reach out to people and say, oh, I'm thinking it's this, can I have some support? Um, and a lot of people, a lot of my friends have said um, they probably wouldn't reach out the same way. Um, they tend to go in on themselves and not um, ask for help. Um, and I think I've just um, been instinctively will shout out and say, "No, I'm going to need some help here." Um, so I think that's what's helped me build my confidence. Um,
0: so it's like having um, having the confidence, as you say, to admit when you don't know something.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's very important in well any profession but definitely in the work we do um it can be very dangerous if we're not (laughs) saying hey i'm not sure what's happening here you know we're working with um people's lives here and um and i think that's all we do a lot of reflective practice and self-development um as part of our career um and i think that is that is a very important um you know necessity to have really um no matter what what we're what we're in what we're in
0: it sounds as though what's pushed you through any wobbly moments has been your pure passion for what you do but also gratitude
1: yeah I think it is. it's is the um it is just the, it's just so it's so worth it at the end um, I mean even today I was having to really work hard at pulling a presentation together um, about how our team had been performing um and, and, and it just, you know, other managers were coming in. We were discussing what we were doing. Um, and we all, we all pulled together around. We all had different strengths in different areas. Um, where it almost became, you know, it, was, it, was, it, it almost took the edge off the, the, the situation. We're having to turn around things really quickly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to set up a clinic at the moment with um, a radiologist, Um, And she she was challenging me and it's become quite a joke between us now around why am I doing what am I doing? Why do I want this? Um, And I I think it's just the at the end, I know that we're going to have a really great working relationship um, because it does come back to how this really benefits the children and, and I suppose what we always keep at what value is this for the you know the got patients whatever you want to call them because really then the end of the day this is what we're, we're in my profession here my job I'm doing is I'm here to help people who access our service and if I, if you're losing sight of that then um you know it it's um that's where the gratitude comes in I suppose for me is um you know you've done what you can to try and um you know, to support families and children. For any
0: young girls who have been listening to you today and think, wow, this is a profession that I could really go into, how would they go about doing it? And also, given your journey and with the hindsight you have, are there any
1: things that you would advise with your experience? I think a lot of it is as well as to do about what you're what you're really interested in. Um, but also, you have to be able to show that you can study. You know, you have to be able to show that you can research and you know write assignments, etc. But if sometimes it's just looking at um, taking um, a step back and looking at, you know, right now I'm really interested in this. But by doing what I'm doing, um, will it op- What other opportunities will it open up for me? Um, and I think it would be. I'd always encourage anyone. Um, like I did was I think I suppose first of all looked at wanting to do something uh, maybe within teaching or another profession and it wasn't until I looked into it more and actually going to places where people there are different professionals that are presenting around what you can do for a career really talk to people try and get um you know, opportunity to go into different working settings and find out about what's out there before you even start to commit. And don't be afraid if you end up not going down the road you expected um, because you will always come back to what you really love doing and what works for you. I've got some friends who aren't aren't going to continue working in the field that they they studied in now. They're going on to something else. And I think that's about life is... um, you know we don't always have to go down this one path just because you know it's important to get education it's important to be able to study and apply ourselves but some people don't go on and um you know do um additional courses and they do excel in their call you know excel in their careers some some choose to be stay at home parents um and then go into something later on at life um gosh where there's a will there's a way
0: and it sounds like yeah. you <laughs> yeah. have always had your heart set on doing the job that you have today and you've just followed your heart and somehow managed to carve out a career that really works for you yeah definitely what does the future hold for you what are your plans with my with my career yeah it sounds like you've really managed to achieve a balance in both pursuing your career and getting all the things that you've wanted like a family and the ability to travel
1: yeah I I think that's what's been really important to me um and I don't know if it's just from life experience or what I've seen around me um I really do believe that it's, it's not about just the straight path and um I think what in the ideal world um I'm really going to give such a good go at this this job now. It's um, the where I'm working, the country I'm working in. I've got the opportunity to grow this team from scratch. We've only been um, functioning as a team for the past seven months because <laughs> people have moved to this certain hospital from overseas. Um, and the country we're in um, culturally is providing such a wealth of experience as well. Um, so for me, it's just it's just really playing to all my um, passions in life in terms of new cultures and people. But I suppose because I'm in a position where I have children, um, you know, it's it's providing them with that opportunity too. So um, I really want to give it a good go here for the next five years at least, um, and then just see what what where where things are maybe in the NHS, or we could go on to another country and do the job I'm doing now, and. I think um, things will come our way as, as we need to, and, and just as this job has done. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's where I'm, I'm just heading towards is um, yeah the next I suppose the next adventure where where it'll take me. Um, but it's not just the the job does help because obviously it helps you to afford a living. <laughs> but um, it, it's just in the, I think I'm in a really good position that I'm, I'm able to get that balance, like you were saying as well.
0: Yeah, I I don't know whether you foresaw the ability to have a balance in your career, given the profession you chose to go into, or whether you
1: were lucky that you were able to achieve a balance. I'd say um, from the UK system, there is much more opportunity for flexible working and part-time working, etc., etc., Um, which affords you to be able to do that, um, and I think because I've chosen to um, have, fam- have a family, then um, because also I was I was forty when I had my first child, um, I had to I suppose I I knew I'd worked hard enough. What's one of the things I'd worked so hard to get to where I was? Um, I, I you know I I had a year maternity leave on both occasions. But I didn't want to then not continue on doing my job as it was because I I just loved what I did so much. And um and I think I just really want my children to see that um, you know, I'm doing something like this um, as well. And I think as well, I just had that amazing support from my husband, um, because it's it's a it's a two-way thing, you know, you when you're when you're married, when you're in a relationship, and um, when you have a family. Um, is about how that that, that comes together. Um, but if I was single and I didn't have a family, I think I'd still have that drive, and which which I did had when I was single, is to you know, is to to see where see where that took me. Really, gosh, I'm fascinated that you had your first child at forty. Yes, is that because
0: <laughs> did you plan it that way?
1: No, I didn't plan it that way. I um, I w- was in a long term relationship until my early 30s. Um, and at that point, I really wanted to then go on and travel. Um, and for various reasons, we we broke up. And I think all that time in my 30s, if I'd have met somebody at that point, then and it was the right person. Um, and I think where I was at in life with what I wanted to fulfill, I suppose, from traveling. And I think my career was part of that, but it was a variety of things. Um, it wasn't until I met my husband and just literally at my uh, I was about 37, um, that it just it just almost felt like it clicked into place he was at the right point i was at the right point and um and it wasn't even that we rushed into having children um we did talk about really early on that just because of our ages because you know it's it's equal on both sides um that we're both of the right, same age um just because of our ages we shouldn't be rushing into that um, but we were very fortunate that we, we were able to have children at the time and when we did. Um, and, you know, I, I was, I'd be a real advocate for that is, um, you know, I've got a sister who had children in her early 20s as well. So she's now going on to do, um, she's gone on and done her study and she's got a master's in psychology. She's got an opportunity to do more um like a PhD through her work placement now. So she's gone and approached us a different way around. So um yeah I think I think that's what I'd I'd probably come back to with that. Yeah.
0: I do truly believe that what is meant for you will happen. Um but I feel that a lot of women, particularly in STEM, uh do feel a huge amount of pressure to squeeze everything into this short biological window that we have and so you know there's a lot of questions about egg freezing and adoption yeah. and all these kinds of options um mm. yeah you know, and it can be very worrying and very stressful for women to have it all um yeah. what would be your advice uh, given that you know you you do come across as a woman that just has it all if not like you have a lot so what would you say to maybe um comfort women who are in this position of trying to squeeze all
1: societal expectations in. Yeah, it's I had this conversation with friends on a weekly basis. <laughs> um and I was and I was that person myself um when I got to about 35, thinking, what you know, what do I want now? Um and I suppose there was that point where I was thinking, um, it felt almost a little bit unfair that there was the view that the, the clock was ticking. And um, I think having done um I did I read about it and looked into it more, um and I know that it's not just to do with the female biological clock, that men also um, you know, need to factor in things as well. Um and I think the, the I've had our friends talk to me about them wanting to go down um a sperm donation route. Um friends who um have chosen to have a baby. Um uh, even though that them and the her and their partner aren't together, um, they had a previous relationship, but they've chosen to have a baby together because this is something that they really desired. And others that are approaching 40 or even 41, 42, and almost feel that that's that's their cut-off for them. They want to, they want to pursue meeting someone with a view to having children. Um and it, and it is it is really I think it's tough for a male or a female when you're at that point. And I suppose, like I say, there is there is the view that you're at this age and this is what you should do. And I remember very early on in my long, the previous long-term relationship, it was just because we've been together for two years doesn't mean we should get engaged or this long that you should then have children or you should get married. Um, why, why should it be that way? Um, who, who, who's dictating this? And I think a lot of it's cultural as well um and I think by I was I think I was kind of, a lot of this has come from my personal background where like I said my um, father had amazing opportunity to really do something with his his amazing talent with his art um and yet for um various reasons he chose not to um and I just remember from being a really young age just thinking I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make the most of what comes my way. So I suppose I just had that open mind to just think, um, yes, I really do want to um, travel. Yes, I do really want to do this. But I know I needed to work hard to enable myself to get the money to be able to do it. Um, You know, I I self-funded to do my course. Um, It didn't just happen. You know, I had to put... Um, a lot of effort into that. And I couldn't go off and do the things that other people were doing in in the 20s um, because I was having to work hard to make sure I was staying in my job and paying off my debt. Um, So there's always been things where there's there's been, it may be from the outside looking like she's somebody who has nearly everything, but um, it's not just happened, you know, it doesn't just happen to any one of us. By putting our effort in and focusing on things, um, you know, I think that's where I truly do believe is, you know, we can only do the best we can. Um, And I suppose we're talking with a friend um, now who's, you know, our friends who are in a situation where they do want to um, pursue a certain path, whether it is um, that they want to focus you know say within the wilderness STEM. you know in that in that role and therefore leave um, you know I suppose focus more on um, maybe having a family or meeting somebody or going off traveling or pursuing other interests I suppose it's just taking it back and saying well what's what's stopping that um, for you um, and, and just keeping yourself open to it is I, I can never speak on behalf of another woman um, or our, uh, any other person to say, um, what would it be like if I hadn't had children, or what that must feel like for you. Um, but I think it's just knowing that I focused on what was really making me happy, um, making sure I, you know, I fulfilled that, and then I met my husband. But prior to that, there was there was times when I really did want to meet somebody, and I did feel lonely, and I did wonder if I ever would. Um, but I just made sure that I continued to do things I really love doing. Um, and I think I was just lucky to grab the opportunities when I could. Wow. I'm really,
0: really gobsmackingly inspired. Um, the idea of really just staying focused on what it is that our heart truly desires. And um, I mean, listening to you, I, I feel like you are very much. In flow Um, you're not trying to resist and um, Mm. you're very accepting of opportunities and challenges that come your way Um, Mm. it seems as though you have an attitude of what can I learn from this situation good and bad and um, yeah it's just been really calming and inspiring talking to you. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and your accomplishments with us.
1: Thank you, Shinny. I've really enjoyed it myself as well. Um, It's it's, it's great sometimes to be able to have the opportunity to just talk. And um, I suppose by the questions you've asked me, it's just helped me revisit so much, particularly being new in the um, country I'm in at the moment. And it's just reaffirmed to me that um, this is the right thing that I've done. If I needed any more, you know, affirmation, it's definitely done that. Um, but I think I think the, th- the things that we've discussed uh, I, I do I, I very do come up very very frequently, um, you know, and. and it's, it's great to to hear that you say that you've been inspired but likewise um and obviously with the other podcasts that you with the other women you've been spoken to you know equally as it's inspiring as well um so thank you
0: that's it from my stem guest this week i feel like our chat has been not just reflective for us but also reflective for her and one of the key things that i've got from our conversation today is that it's so important to stay focused on our own journey um, always asking ourselves what makes us happy and where our passions truly lie and pursuing them um, no matter what thanks for listening catch you next week on silence